Hello, listeners. It's terrific to have you here again. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast about female athletes and women in sports. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery. Our guest this week is offshore sailor Hannah Stodel, who is working her way to the start line of the Around the World Race Fonde Globe. Hannah and I talk a lot about confidence, so as she shares her ways of managing doubt and about all of her meticulous preparations, keep in mind what exactly she is aiming to do. In the Vendée Globe, Hannah, who only has one arm, will race a 60-foot boat all by herself for three to four months without ever stopping back on land. Also, watch out for similarities between many of the things Hannah says and what both Jessica Berman from last week's Fast Track and Leah Neal from the previous episode say. Maybe these are a few things we should all be paying attention to. To read more about these connections, sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com. All right, enough preamble. Let's meet Hannah. Today, my guest is Hannah Stodel, three times world champion, four times Paralympian, and British Telecom YJA Young Sailor of the Year. At the Royal Hospital School in Ipswich, Hannah raced the 29er, Laser 3000, and Laser 4.7. She went on to represent Great Britain at youth and junior levels in the World and European Championships in the Mirror and 29 classes for the able-bodied. Hannah was born without a lower right arm. At 15, she started competing with her eyes on the Paralympics, and now she is preparing for the Vendée Globe, an incredible solo around the world race. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you. So I want to start out with the Vendée Globe because I heard you talk about it as, you know, sometimes the first reaction is like, holy cow. So <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about what exactly the race is and a little bit of that holy cowness of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you definitely get that reaction. Um, certainly when I present it, I show a video of the Vendée and you can just see people's faces looking at the Vendée. So to give people context, the simple terms, the Vendée is a solo round the world yacht race that is done without any help and without stopping. So you basically come out of France, you turn left and you keep turning left all the way around the bottom of the globe until you find France again. That's essentially the Vendée Globe. <laughs> Simply put. <laughs> so talk a little bit about some of those things that you mentioned, like racing solo and not having any help. And, you know, like, what does that actually mean? Like, what are the logistics behind those things? So basically, they mean the help, as in you don't have any crew on board. It's just you and a 60-foot boat. Also, you're not allowed any help with the routing. So when your weather comes in, you have to interpret that. You have to make those decisions. You're not allowed a team on shore analyzing everything and saying, oh, what you should do is go further south and you'll get this advantage. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to the sailor on board. So in many respects, it's a very raw race. What are you using for making decisions about how you're going to go? So we have a lot of software on board. So it's not just, you know, a, a lump of rock and a bit of seaweed. Um, <laughs> it's a lot more scientific than that. It's basically computer software that analyzes weather data, the boat's current speed and things. And obviously with all the navigation software as well, it does some magic wizardry in a box and basically is able to tell you where to go. Right. And also in terms of solo, I mean, you're feeding yourself. And if you have medical issues, you're dealing with that also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a race where you have to be everything on a boat. You know, you have to be the medic. You have to be the chef. You have to be the engineer. You know, it's quite a, it's a cool thing to be, actually, because it teaches you so many skills. Like, I never thought 
I would need to understand wiring and electronics and be able to pull a diesel engine apart. But these are all things I've been learning on my journey. So it's pretty, it's a pretty exciting time for me. Right. Yeah. How are you preparing for this race? I'd like to say it's all carefully planned out and followed. (laughs) (laughs) But that would be nonsense. I mean, literally most of my learning is done through absolute trial and error. So what kind of trial and error? So are you you're going out? <laughs> are you racing solo right now, as practice? No. Well, no. I tend to do training as solo rather than racing. Um, a lot of my racing has been done with a minimal crew, which gives me a safety aspect. Right. You know, if things do go wrong, it's less expensive and uh, there's less risk of death. Obviously, with a, <laughs> a small number of other people on the boat. I'm working towards the solo stuff slowly but surely. Right. And I do want to get back to the holy cowness of it. Talk about what it's like to be out there in the middle of the ocean racing all by yourself. Or even just what it's like to be out there in the middle of the ocean. It's kind of like the best and the worst of sailing, which it sounds ridiculous, but it kind of like I often feel like I'm bipolar about it. <laughs> it's like like I'll come back from training or a race if it's been awful or something bad's happened i'll be like oh i'm never going sailing again i hate sailing this is the worst idea ever who came up with this idea and the next day i'll be bouncing around going do you know what it's amazing i absolutely love it so it's one of those really weird things where it has these ups and downs that are so emotional but you never remember the bad stuff, really. You only ever remember the good stuff when you get on shore. And it's like, that's the magic feeling. What What do you like about sailing? What is the magic? Oh, the freedom. Sailing at night. Uh, the privilege of realizing that there are so few people out in those stretches of water when it's just you and the moonlight. And that is just an epic feeling blasting down the waves in the dark and watching the stars all the wildlife as well Hmm. i bet it's so different particularly like we're in 2019 i bet it's so different being out there than on land around now yeah there's definitely a sense of of peace and quiet out there it's um it makes you appreciate things i'd say a lot more like you're able to detach from you know, the everyday life, emails, checking your checking your phone every few seconds and all of that. It's, it, life becomes very simple out there. Right. What will your connection be when you're out there? Oh, uh, so that's one of the most favorite questions people ask. And actually, like these days, solo sailing isn't solo sailing. It's just mental because the connectivity is unreal. You know, right. you're permanently connected. The boat, no matter where you are on the planet, you you can talk to someone, you can pick up the phone and talk to someone, you can web chat, you can WhatsApp, you can Skype, you can do all of these things, even, you know, hundreds of miles offshore. So we talked about what you like, what has been the scariest moment or what have you not liked? I think for me, the toughest thing has been my anxiety control. Uh, I'm quite an anxious person. And I do have a lot of what ifs, with this campaign you know what if this goes wrong will I be able to deal with it but then every time I've experienced some really bad stuff you know I've just been able to cope with it and just cracked on I think it's definitely showing me a lot about myself as a person. What aspects of getting ready for the Vendée Globe are you concerned about or are you thinking about or are you 
you know, particularly training for? For me, um, we're doing a lot of work around my mental wellness and my level of stress management because obviously being alone at sea for that length of time, you it's quite daunting, you know, to have to go and be on your own for basically a hundred plus days and cope with a sixty foot machine that's keeping you alive is uh it's quite a big undertaking. So definitely a lot of work around my mindset going into that, uh, as well as, you know, obviously the physical aspect of it. It's a sixty foot boat. You know, those are normally sailed with crews of twelve upwards. Mm. So to cope with that on my own is yeah, has required another level of physical fitness that I just never thought was possible. Like I knew I was strong, I knew I was pretty tough, but this is a whole other level. Are you doing physical training? Yeah, basically six days a week at the moment. What are you doing? Uh, I sort of mix it up at the moment. I'm working on some sort of high intensity cardio, um, a lot of weights, just trying to bulk up. One of the fun things about offshore sailing is before we go on any big trips, we're allowed to put a little bit of weight on. So that's quite <laughs> nice. <laughs> Will you lose a lot of weight when you're out there? Yeah, and I'm the worst for that as well because like things are so busy once you're off. I have been known to go a few days without eating and yeah, I basically lose a lot of weight. So it's a great weight loss program. <laughs> Perhaps not so good for your health, but yeah. I mean, in a 10-day trip, I lost five kilograms. Oh, wow. So we have to be really careful with my wellness. I have to look after myself a bit more. So I'm, I'm learning to get better at that. But also we're protecting me a bit more by putting a little bit of chunk on before I go. Right. And you're not allowed to go on shore. So all your food has to go with you when you set out originally. Yeah, that's right. So basically you pack 120 days worth of food into your boat and wow. off you go. What, what are you packing or what are you planning on packing? Oh, I say it would be really delicious food. <laughs> I can't imagine so... for day 98 that, you know, uh, yeah, from a can. Well, no, it's not even from a can. I think a can would probably be more exciting. Anything that could be dehydrated is basically stuffed into a bag and then you pour boiling water in it and that's breakfast lunch and dinner and mm -hmm. there are some absolutely grim ones but there are some manageable ones any treats i have just discovered literally the best thing ever so it's a chocolate chip pudding and it's kind of like if someone took a load of cookies and like bashed them up and then put them in a bag <laughs> but then you mix like a little bit of hot water with it and like i've eaten it for breakfast for lunch and for dinner and it's amazing <laughs> maybe that's all you should pack I know, right? I think I think my dietician might have something to say about that. But, yeah. So, d can you describe what you know, like what one of the hundred days will be like? That's the thing for me. It's it's a little bit unknown. Like I go on my training and I go, I go out there, and every trip is different. Every time something different happens, and I think that's kind of one of the things that I absolutely love about sailing is that it's always different. You can never expect anything because it just won't happen out there. I understand that there's some particular areas of, of your trip that are going to be particularly difficult in terms of the waves and the weather conditions. Yeah, for sure. So the Southern Ocean is probably going to be the toughest bit because basically everything is gray. The whole 
landscape is grey, <laughs> nothing but towering waves and pretty big breeze down there. You know, that's where that's where people generally get into trouble. So that's that's definitely a scary area of the trip. What do you have to do to prepare for that? Anything? Um, so we have actually planned into my timetable a training run through. So I will have done the Southern Ocean before the Vendée Globe. Oh, wow. So hopefully it won't be too scary. That's a big undertaking. Yeah, absolutely. But I think for me, it's been super important to do this journey one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Like whilst it's very easy to say I'm going to go out and do the Vendée Globe, I'm not going to be able to do the Vendée Globe without first building my mileage building my experience and taking the time to do it step by step and i've asked you a couple questions and none of the answers have included anything about you only having one arm is there anything about that that you're training for or that you're preparing in some way for me my disability's never it's never really a thing I don't, it's not something I really think about. I mean, it's something my team think about probably daily. But, you know, I don't think about it on the boat, but my team do. So I get on with things and they figure out how I'm going to get on with things. <laughs> right. so I'm really lucky in that respect. But, we, like, the boat will be adapted for me. And we already know how that's going to happen and what that looks like. So I'm quite fortunate that I've got some very clever people behind the scenes helping me. Right. Well, how is your boat going to be adapted? So we've had to think about things like, for example, the Imokas use what's called a pedestal. So it looks like a huge hand crank in the middle of the boat, and it basically powers the winches. So obviously, first up, it's a hand crank, so it requires two hands. So straight up, that's out the door for me. You know, that's not, not physically possible logistically. So we had to look at that. So we're planning to put a bike in oh, um, wow. to replace the hand crank. So yeah, that's going to be an exciting development. Is that going to be like what the um, the Volvo racers use? Yeah. So like like you saw in the America's Cup, like New Zealand had the bikes on the back. Like, yeah. And they basically brought in a cycling team to power the boat. Yeah. Essentially that. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Have, yeah. have you tried one of those? No, we're thinking not an upright bike. Like the America's Cup guys do races that last, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, they don't go through massive waves. So we're thinking more recumbent bike. Right. I guess you're training on recumbent bikes right now then. Exactly. Yeah, I spend a lot of my time on a recumbent bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Any other uh, adaptions? Yeah, so we have to think about certainly things like the sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, I'm very lucky that I'm supported by an amazing sail making team who have thought outside of the box. Because I'll give you an example. So one of the front sails on the Namoka weighs upwards of 400 kilograms. So moving one of those on your own is already, you know, pretty tough job, even for the able-bodied guys. So we kind of thought around that problem and came up with a system that allows me to do that without large amounts of effort. And just, you know, the guys are just, they always astound me with what they come up with. You know, it's so different, it's so unique. I I actually can't wait till we get to put it on a boat and people get to see it because, you know, the ideas my guys come up with are just amazing. You've talked a lot about your team. It sounds like your team is very large. Who all is on it? I quite the opposite. Yeah, my team's really small. Oh, um, 
but actually like that's how I have always wanted it to be you know to have a very special group of people that I trust ultimately with my life and who support me for the right reasons they're as keen to make history as I am so yeah I'm very lucky my team at the moment sits at five people oh I have Alex, who's basically the director, manager, head of everything. He kind of deals with the technical side of the boat. He's a boat builder by trade. So he looks after all of that kind of stuff and comes up with all these crazy, mad ideas. And then I have Sue, who's also my mom. <laughs> She's a, a momager, right. <laughs> I think is yeah, the term for that one. Um, she does all the commercial side of things. So helps me with the sponsorship and keeping up to date with everything. Then there's another Hannah. <laughs> so I have a Hannah too, is her nickname. And she looks after all the logistics and looks after me and makes sure I eat and drink and I'm in the right place at the right time and where I'm supposed to be normally. I need one of those. Yeah, she's amazing, literally. I, I don't know how I survive every day without her because normally it's you know, WhatsApp. We're not face-to-face very much, but it kind of just functions so well. Like She's an absolute legend. If I'm supposed to be somewhere or something is supposed to be somewhere, it will be. So she's pretty incredible. And then I have Quentin and Adam who help me with the boat, do some racing with me, do some sailing with me, and just generally do anything that's needed. So they're pretty cool lads. And actually, they started out with me on my Paralympic journey. So it's been nice to have them move over to this side of my journey and and join me on the next bit. Mm -hmm. Cool. For people who don't know much about sailing, I'm assuming that we'll be able to watch the Vendee Globe. What should we be watching for? How do we watch? Yeah. What are we looking at? Well, so the really cool thing with the Vendee is it's very interactive. So they not only have um, an online race where you guys can join in and get all the same weather data that we're getting and make all the same decisions. So that's quite cool. People get to see if they can beat you. (laughs) So that's quite good fun. Um, Basically, there's daily video updates. There's phone calls, trackers, live cameras on the boats. I mean, you name it, you can pretty much get it from the Monday. Right. How important are tactics? Very. That's basically offshore racing, which it, it, it does sound bizarre for people that don't necessarily know it but it's you know it's not just a question of speed it's not you know if someone's built the fastest boat they'll win the race it's not necessarily about that it's about how they get around the weather systems that we encounter it's how well they manage the maintenance and the upkeep of their boat for that long it's also a little bit of luck i mean mother nature needs to be on your side for it to all go well and for you to be high up when you get to that finish line. Are you good at tactics? I'm good at the racing side of things, I would say. But I I think I'm quite conservative, which is definitely something I'm trying to work on. Because I'm, like I said before, I've struggled with my anxiety. So I think I tend to rein it in mm. quicker than other people. So I take my foot off the gas a little bit quicker than right. other people. So it's something I need to work on, like the balance between keeping the boat and myself together, but not giving too much away to my competitors. Right, right. Are you, do you like competing? I do. I, I, there's a little gremlin in me that is super, super competitive. And I get really grumpy when I don't do well. <laughs> but 
I have to constantly <laughs> remind myself that the whole point of this journey wasn't about winning the Vendée. Like, it's never been about that. And I have to force myself to say it, which is terrible. It's not about winning. <laughs> the thing for me is the Vendée is about proving it can be done and challenging people's perceptions of what is possible. You know, I, I firmly believe anything is possible. And that's why I want to go and do the Vendée. I want to prove it's possible for a disabled person. So if I finish the race and it's taken me, you know, twice as long, that doesn't matter because I will have finished the race and I will have proved it can be done. And then I'll go out next time and do better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't know if I believe you that it doesn't matter that it would take you twice as long. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'll be super frustrated if it's taking twice as long as everybody else. And yeah, no, it won't take me twice as long. Right. Right. I think it will be like all offshore races. I think it will be absolute hell until I get to the end. And then it will be the most magical thing I've ever done. Cool. (laughs) let's go back a little bit to the tactics i mean i've sailed and i was not a good sailor so this is coming from a not a good sailor but can you talk about the tactics like when you're faced with a decision what is that about like what is the decision that you're making and maybe what are also the factors that you're looking into so a lot of offshore racing i find comes down to how good your analysis of the weather has been and what is coming. I mean, it's not like, you know, dinghy racing where you go out and it's literally very bang, bang, bang decision-making. It's like, this boat has done this, so therefore we do this. It's very quick decision-making, whereas offshore, you're looking days ahead and planning around weather systems that don't necessarily always do what you want them to do and figuring out the best way around it. You know, the boat-on-boat stuff almost comes second Hmm. like it's still there in your mind you're still kind of going oh well if the fleet's north of me like am I too far south have I have you got enough west to get to this weather system you know you're sort of weighing it all up and then you've got to balance that with your boat's capabilities and your capabilities to get to a position it's this constant juggling checking am I on target what am I going to do about this storm? What am I going to do about this patch of no wind? So it's an interesting game. And actually, I think that's probably why I enjoy it so much, because there's so many facets of it. It's just, and it's never ending. But sometimes you have, you just have to go through a storm. You're not able to avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have to just deal with the consequences of it. It's like, right, what's my, what's my decision here? It's either I bash through this and, hope for the best or do I literally take all my sails down and hide I mean you know (laughs) (laughs) these are all things we consider (laughs) what's it like taking down the sails and hiding I mean you're still bashing around on the waves I have never got to a position where I've taken everything down I've got to a position where I've been pretty dumb about (laughs) about having too much sail up but luckily I did that with a coach and he kind of let me make the mistake before telling me I was an idiot. So <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been at a stage where I've just wanted to like hide inside the, just the shell of the boat with no sails up. I mean, I've got to a very little amount of sail area up and been absolutely scared out of my wits, but yeah, you kind of just bash through. <laughs> right. 
as I said, I, I have sailed, but I've never sailed on incredibly big waves. Is there any way to describe what that's like, what it's like to sail on just waves that normal people can't imagine? Amazingly terrifying. <laughs> it's like, imagine the roller coaster that's really fun, but you're always thinking the car is about to fall off the edge. <laughs> and then what's gonna happen if it all goes horribly wrong yeah it's it's really good fun and you're like woohoo this is great and you're like cruising along and then you're like oh my god <laughs> the boat's gonna come to a big stop in the back of the wave in front or the wave behind's gonna catch up and like squash the boat basically so yeah it's amazingly terrifying i would say right are you good with fear or what's your relationship with fear it's mostly a positive relationship because I think most of my fear and my anxiety comes from the what if it goes wrong. So most of the time I'm able to reason with myself about my fear and say, you know, it's a healthy, it's a healthy relationship. Um, the other positive thing I think it gives me is a healthy respect for what I'm up against. So I don't push the limits too hard. I'm not going to put my boat and myself in a ridiculous amount of danger I just like I say I rein it in a little bit and just try to stay alive and keep the boat in one piece and that's that's kind of it and I think ultimately you can let the fear consume you or you can find ways around it and ways around it for me a routine you know I'm very comfortable in my routine and I know that if I do things in order I'm doing the best job I can in that situation. How are you going to manage routine and every day is different? <laughs> yeah, that's the nice thing. I mean, luckily, like with the offshore stuff, everything needs to get done regardless. You know, the, the checking of the boat, the eating, the sleeping, all of these things have to be done. Those are, you know, you can't go that many days on no sleep without dying. It, it's just not possible. So all of the things on the routine have to get done. So now the order's different. That's all it is. It's basically one day it's one order and the next day it's a different order. It's just that's how it happens, I suppose. Right. So you'll have a sort of a checklist of things that you need to check on the boat, you know, every two days or whatever? Yes, basically. Yeah. Mine's a bit more thorough, like I, I, every day to make sure the boat's okay kind of thing. Right. The weather has to be downloaded. I have to eat a meal. I have to drink a drink. You know, if I can check these basic things off, then I know we're in good position. And do you have a, I really like systems. Do you have a system for that? Like, will you have an actual piece of paper checklist or a computer checklist? Yeah, it's a complete bone of contention with my guys because like I'm obsessed with laminated notes <laughs> things. I love it. And Yeah, and Hannah, other Hannah too, is just like, she loves sticking them onto the boat and she has found now unicorn duct tape. Nice. So, yeah, all my signs are stuck up with unicorns, or I think I did have penguins at one point. So, you know, adds a sort of cheerful note to it. <laughs> right, right. That's great. So I want to go back a little bit to training. Can you talk about, you know, like, what are you doing every day? And, you know, it sounds like there's a couple different kinds of training. There's your actual physical training, but there's, I'm gathering some mental training going on and also tactical and boat training. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> it sounds and like actually, a lot. Yeah, actually, everything, everything that I'm doing means that pretty much every day is different. As much as I'd like to say, you know, I'm on the water more than I am 
in the office, it's just not going to happen. You know, with with these campaigns, it's seventy percent of your time is behind the desk. You know, driving a computer. Sadly, not driving the boat, but that's part and parcel of it. So my days sort of vary. It really depends what I'm doing, and it can be anything from working on talks or presentations to doing the accounts. You know, really dull stuff, <laughs> and then. You know, some days I'll be out sailing. Some days I'll be out pounding the pavement, trying to find sponsorship. Some days I'll just be in the gym looking after myself kind of thing. So it's quite a cool existence. It's crazy busy, <laughs> but it's good fun. Yep. And in preparation for the Vendee Globe, you mentioned that 70% is at the desk or not on not on the ocean. So for the Vendee Globe, is that about the same ratio that, you know, prep time takes that long yeah definitely I mean you know this this game that I've decided to play is sadly financially driven so you know the time I it takes to find sponsors and to build relationships and to keep up with that side of the the business is challenging because you know I'd be much happier out on the water but sadly (laughs) that's not the reality of it we talked a little bit about competition why not just spend all your time on the water and not compete and just just go for a sail every day? I mean, uh, that that's the dream. <laughs> I would love to be <laughs> in a position to do that. I don't think the bank would be though. Like, right. you know, i i have I have a house. I have to pay bills. You know, the the guys can't work for free. Nothing is cheap, so it takes it takes a while to build up that backing so I have to work as well as train you know right up until I find that title sponsor you know you live within your means so I have to earn money to go sailing sadly pay for my addictive habit (laughs) right but I mean like you could have I don't know just sort of a regular normal nine-to-five job and then every day after work go go just go for pleasure cruise rather than you know gearing up for the Vendee Globe I could do that, but then I would be boring, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I'd love to be able to just take the boat out. But at the moment, I'm financially in a position where I'm chartering a boat. So it's A, not my boat, and B, it's flipping expensive. So, you know, every time I take her out in the back of my mind, I'm like, don't break it. Do not break this boat. Because if you break this boat, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So I have to... I have to weigh that up, you know. I think it'll be different once I raise the money to buy my own boat because I think I'll probably have to be wrestled off it to right. stop me sailing it randomly. But, <laughs> you know, at the moment I have to live within my means right. and be sensible about it. We'll be right back. This is just a quick break to say support Hear Her Sports. Subscribe to the podcast and even more importantly, tell your friends about the adventurous women you get to know here. Every week, there's motivation to be adventurous yourself, so I'd be thrilled if you pass that along to your pals and training partners. Sign up for the newsletter at hearhersports.com to read a couple of impressions from the interviews, plus find out what's up next. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at hearhersports. Now back to the conversation with three-time world champion Hannah Stodel. You recently wrote a blog post about confidence. Can we talk about confidence? And what does that word mean to you? See, confidence is something I've always struggled with, you know, not just 
my own self-confidence like I definitely realized coming off my Paralympic campaign that I had body image issues for sure I basically put on a lot of weight for Paralympic sailing and it's made me very I've got a very unhealthy relationship with food I would say so that's one aspect of it and the other aspect I think for me is I don't believe in my ability very much so I find it very easy to doubt myself and things I'm doing so I I need a lot of help in that area I'm very lucky that the team I have supports me but I'm also doing a lot of work outside of that to believe in myself a little bit more and believe in my ability things things certainly from the outside that sounds insane I mean we all know that (laughs) (laughs) all of us who have confidence issues you know from the outside it's very different yeah absolutely and I think for me it's been really important to be very open about it and very honest about it and you know I don't whilst my social media is pretty pretty positive you know it's also at times quite open and honest and I I have been criticized for that but to me that that's important you know I want to share every aspect of this journey with people and you know if that's something as ridiculously seeming to the outside world about you know my lack of confidence then so be it you know I think it's important to be authentic with these things and that's something I pride myself in being (laughs) maybe a little bit too much sometimes Well, I like the idea that, you know, I think in the past when there wasn't maybe social media or there weren't more people talking about confidence, that it was assumed that everybody who was doing great things had tons of confidence, which obviously is not the case. Yeah, definitely. And I think definitely these days, it's really easy to look at social media and people's outward image to think that, you know, wow, they must have an amazing life and things must be perfect for them. But, you know, it's not necessarily always like that you know these challenges those of us that choose to take on these crazy big adventures it's tough it's it's not all it's not all fun that's for sure and in your blog you I think I'll quote you let's see you like to find out how other people cope with doubt and how are you doing that and also what have you learned from asking other people that the biggest thing that sticks out for me with whenever you ask that question, no matter who who it is, you know, like even down to some of my mentors, the people that are on my board of advisors, you know, it's some pretty big names. And actually everybody has that doubt and realizing that everybody has that doubt and potentially that lack of confidence is quite a big realization because it puts it in perspective. Whereas when I'm going panicking about this lack of confidence and I'm doubting everything and every decision I make and so on, actually realizing that everybody's doing that too makes it seem that much more manageable. When you have a moment of lack of confidence, but you have an event coming up or something that you have to do, how are you sort of charging through, I guess, just getting the job done? For me, I like to surround myself with people the believe in me and I find that really important so in the run-up to any big race or anything you know having those people there that can reassure me that can know that I am good enough and make me feel that I am good enough is really important for me 
the other thing I'm not going to lie is I eat a lot of chocolate. It's got to be, you know, there's got to be something said about the uh, absolute delight of eating a chocolate bar and feeling better. Right. Other than the chocolate, do you have other tactics that you've learned? Yeah, so I have a wall of inspiration, which is full of these ridiculous things that I say to myself that reassure me that I'm in the right place. It's basically these neon signs with things I've written down over the years. And yeah, if ever I need to have a little reset, that's the wall I need to look at. Nice, nice. Have you worked with sports psychologists through the Paralympic Committee or any of the other big racing that you've done? Yeah, so all through my Paralympic career, I had basically access to a sports psychologist, worked through all of the stress exposure stuff, learning how to cope with the immense pressure that the Paralympics brings and all that kind of stuff. So that's been a bit of a journey in itself. And now I'm very lucky that I've just started working with a really incredible sports psychologist who is kind of getting to grips with the sailing side of things. You know, he's not from a sailing background. So it's been exciting for him to learn the reality of offshore sailing. You know, and they say you should sleep eight hours and eat, you know, all the greens and everything and you should look after yourself. And then he goes through what I actually live on a day to day basis. <laughs> I, 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 I dread to think what he, <laughs> he thinks of all of that. So you sleep 10 minutes, you should sleep eight hours. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not possible on a boat. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. You know, like these questions about confidence, how is that going to impact your actual time on the boat? And particularly when you're going to be racing the Vendee Globe for 100 days or more? I think for me, it's the step-by-step process, you know, the Vendée Globe is a massive undertaking, you know, and this crazy challenge I've set myself, is not going to be easy for sure. And uh, even getting to the start line, it's going to take a miracle. You know, we've got a long way to go before the Vendée Globe. And if we stick to the plan, we follow step-by-step, we find those sponsors that believe in us. I do all the training miles that make me feel comfortable. I think my confidence issues and my doubt, whilst they'll still be there, I think it will be minimized. You talked a little bit about the timetable of the Vendee Globe, that it's about a year away. Can you talk really specifically what's going to happen during that time and, you know, talk about sponsors and also the prep that we've talked about? Yeah, so the next edition of the race is in 2020. Now, I'll be brutally honest, at the moment, I am not on timetable to make that race. It's it's not going to happen. You know, strategically, I'm not in the right place. I don't have enough financial backing to make it possible. So at the moment, with my team, we're looking at pushing it back to the next edition, which will be 2024. So whilst that's been a difficult thing to come to terms with, missing this race, it's at the same time the right thing to do Mm -hmm. from many respects you know from my safety for one for financially the other you know it's not a it's not a sensible thing and whilst we are we're still a month away from the actual deadline unless a miracle happens I don't think I'll be making the next edition of the race okay so what happens between now and 2024 so between now and 2024, I'm planning. Um, there's another around the world race that's just been announced. Um, so my plan is to enter that race as well. 
which gets me some mileage, which gets me myself an ocean run. And right. then, of course, we have everything in between. So, you know, the fundraising, the mileage build, the dealing with my self-confidence, my doubt, the learning all of the skills that come with this journey. Mm-hmm. So it just it gives us a bit more time to get everything in place. And for me to hit that start line, feeling confident that it's possible. Is that a solo race? No, it's actually double-handed, which is, for me, yeah, one of the definite selling points about it because I can race with a different person on every leg whilst it took me a while to get to the – there are loads of positives about this race. um, Yeah, there are loads of positives. It's a stopping race, so it gives us time to maintain the boat. It also gives me the opportunity to sail with a different coach on every leg. You know, Mm -hmm. the learning opportunity from this race is unreal. Right. In some ways, it sounds like – you know, having to deal with confidence is also creating these opportunities to work really hard and plan and, you know, actually go through some of the stages, like, for example, doing one of the most difficult parts of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, I don't celebrate it, I don't think, but I think also it's a healthy, it's a healthy thing to have. I think, you know, arrogance gets you bitten in the bum offshore that's for sure I know, I know this much you know if you underestimate what you're going up against it comes back to bite you and lots of offshore sailors have learned that the hard way you know so I think whilst I need to get to a level where I am confident I also think you can be overconfident so I'm not necessarily thinking it's a bad thing my lacking confidence but I know that I need to improve it maybe a little bit <laughs> Right. I had a really interesting conversation with Elena Myers-Taylor, who's a bobsledder, and she races with, you know, female partners, but she's also a pilot for a male team. And she's learned a lot just watching the way that the two sexes deal with confidence and sort of, you know, she was saying that males will go out never having been in the top 10, but they go into the race thinking they're going to win. Yeah, that's definitely something I've come across my pro sailing so the other side of the sailing that I do you know I'm very lucky that I sail on a predominantly male racing team and it's it's amazing the the level of almost cockiness that they come in with it's just like I admire it but at the same time I'm like guys need to maybe check this because complacency ruins races we we all know this like you can be too too confident going into this so yeah it's definitely it's really different sailing with guys as it is sailing with girls Hmm, that's interesting I also have a lot of questions about the word of confidence and I ask guests about this a lot for me confidence sounds like this non-yielding characteristic of a person and it's really not like that you know like having confidence Mm -hmm. can alter day to day or you know like just situation to situation yeah, definitely. I think it's completely fluid. I mean, you can wake up one day feeling perfectly confident and you can wake up the next feeling completely not. You know, I think, I think, like you say, it varies day to day. It varies in situations. It's, it, yeah, it's completely fluid. Yeah. What are your long-term goals? I mean, obviously the Vendée Globe, but after that, or just sort of in general, what are your goals? I think for me... I'd never really considered 
my life after sailing at the moment my life is is sailing and everything around that but what I'm loving about this part of my journey is how much I'm getting to get out in front of people and to share this journey and to inspire people and that that's been the most magic part of this is even at my lowest moments is knowing that I can inspire maybe just one person that's that's my whole campaign you know and while that's not a very big goal I suppose in many respects you know it's not about having kids or being married or whatever it is it's to me it's everything this this journey is all about challenging perceptions and I love that I get to share that with people oh absolutely that's a huge goal I mean I think it's interesting that we haven't talked that much about you only having one arm. I mean, how do you think about it day to day? I mean, it annoys me at certain points in the day. Like when I can't open a flipping tin of tuna, then yeah, it's going to annoy me and I can't peel a potato without getting it everywhere or like slicing my hand off. You know, there's definitely times when I'm like, oh, this would be so much simpler if I had two hands. But then the rest of the time, I suppose to me, it doesn't even factor into my life which sounds really weird because obviously I am living with a disability but to me it's not it's not even a thing do you talk to kids a lot about dealing with disability and and you know overcoming obstacles and just doing whatever the hell you want I do yeah so I do a lot of work in schools with and inspiring and motivating people and you know the kids are brutal with their questions right you know, nothing's off limits when you go in front of some children, you know, and straight up people are like, how did you lose your arm? Does it affect you? Can you do this? Can you do that? Whereas I think with adults, it's quite different, isn't it? It's like, let's not talk about it. Let's avoid that conversation just in case. Right. For you, what has been the greatest benefit of, of being able to go into schools? I think for me, it's not only good for me to share the journey and to get that motivation from inspiring people I think also I like to think that I'm giving the kids the opportunity to not only see disability but to also see what is possible and to see that even though I have a disability it's not holding me back it's not stopping me from doing anything except for tins of tuna you know it's not (laughs) it's not stopping me from getting out (laughs) Right, right. Before we finish up, do you have any advice for listeners or any thoughts you'd like to end on? Well, the best piece of advice I ever got was from my uncle Jamie, who had it written on all of his boats. And it's something I have written on all of mine, which is never give up. And as cheesy as it is, as corny as it is to have that, I think that's, that's super important. You know, people have opinions, people judge people have a perception of what's possible and to me if I think it's possible and I believe in myself then that's what matters and it's not going to stop me getting to the end of this race and it's not going to stop me from following and chasing this dream of mine. That seems like I mean if I had to give your life like one theme (laughs) it's definitely you know I'm going to prove everybody wrong I can do it perseverance I like to think of it yeah I persevere I set a goal and I keep going and I don't give up that's the thing 
I've set out to do this. I've got the goal in mind. There's that saying, isn't it? If you can't stop thinking about it, don't stop working for it. And that's very much how I live my life. You know, it gets me out of bed in the morning to go to the gym. It makes me eat endless amounts of broccoli over endless amounts of chocolate. It's everything. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. It's been good fun. And I look forward to watching both this Vendée Globe, whether you're in it or not, and the Vendée Globe that you are in. That's going to be really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely be sharing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Excellent. Talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. As always, I'm so excited you're here showing support of women in sports. 44% of athletes are women. Only 4% of sports media coverage is about women. So a big thank you for doing your part by listening here. Send your thoughts about the new Fast Track series or any other episode. Email elizabeth at hearhersports.com or call the new hotline at 725-BE-BADASS. I really enjoyed hearing your voices, so thanks to everyone who has already called. Design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Till next time, bye-bye. I absolutely hate cardio. Like, I absolutely hate cardio. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.